Good day again. Um, we all good? Have I got this on mute or something, have I? Yep. How's that? That's three seniors moments. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, I was walking along the beach with my wife yesterday and I said, I think I might dress in shabby clothes uh, when I come to church today. And she just laughed. <laughs> I, I don't know why. Um, I've got a suit. Um, the reason I've got a suit is because at a previous church I was at, a whole bunch of the guys got together, they whipped the hat around and they gave me $700 uh, to spend on a suit because uh, I didn't own a suit at that period of time. Uh, I used to borrow them for weddings and funerals. Well, today we're going to be looking at uh, some issues to do with how we relate to other people and I think there's nothing terribly difficult to understand here but there's some very challenging things uh, to put into practice. And uh, I need to begin by saying this is a time when I believe that I personally need to be careful with my words. And I'll explain why. Um, historically, I've often uh, kind of put down religion. Uh, I've had talks that have been called things like religion is garbage, um, why religion's not the way to God, uh, how only bad people go to heaven. In fact, the first talk I ever gave um, when I started ministering in Canberra, I had put on a little brochure to advertise on the university campus. It was going to be on Romans 5. The title of the talk was only Bad People Go to Heaven. I got back the proof from the brochure, from the printer, and he'd very kindly helped me out by changing the title to only Good People Go to Heaven. Um, of course, it's because of misunderstandings like that that I want to say religion as in doing good for God is not the way to become a Christian. But we shouldn't dismiss the word religion, uh, not least of which because James uses it twice in this passage. But we need to understand what we mean by religion. Those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Um, what we see here is that it's possible to have religion that is good and religion that is not good. And we need to understand the difference here because there can be a religion which is worthless and that's to be avoided. Now, I think at the heart of this, we need to understand what true religion and true worship is when it comes to relating to God. A couple of years back, we looked uh, carefully at Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to read to you the first couple of verses of Romans 12. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Surely that's good religion. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. That's the religion that God delights in. But you notice that it's a response to what God has done. The verses start 
in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. See, religion, in the world's terms, is behaving in a certain way so that God will accept you. But religion in Bible terms is recognising that God has shown mercy through the Lord Jesus Christ, so that then leads to transformed lives in response. And we see that, I think, in James 1 as well. Uh, Those of you who consider themselves religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves. So we see there that, that true religion, true relationship with God, will work itself out in transformed speech. And then a little later, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And we see that true religion will work itself out in the way that you act towards other people. It's not so that God will accept you. It's because God has shown you mercy that transforms the way that you are to live. So with that context in mind, what is it that God's looking for? Well, basically, he's looking for people who will walk the talk. They'll talk the truth, and they'll let the truth shape the way that they live. And it is far too easy to go through the motions. And we're not to go through the motions. We're not to be hypocrites. We're not to show favouritism. We're not to neglect those who are needy. There's a whole range of things that get mentioned in this passage, and there'll be more throughout the rest of the book. Let's see the things that are focused on here, first of all. That is, considering ourselves to be religious and not keeping a tight rein on our tongues leads us to being deceived and our religion, that is our response to God, is worthless. So it needs to affect the way that we speak. We need to be people who are transformed so that our heart expresses itself through our lips, through our tongues, in words that are truthful, words that are loving, words that are building up rather than tearing down. We'll see more about this. Um, We'll look at this in detail when we move on a little bit later in James. But for now, the focus is primarily on action. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And I put the and there in brackets because it's not there in the original. That is to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. God is the father, notice there in verse 27, God is the father who is concerned for orphans and widows in their distress. I don't think it's incidental that James describes God as the father. He is the father who adopts children into his family. He's the one who takes care of his family. Indeed, if you look down at the bottom of the page, I've I've put there Psalm 68, verses 4 to 6. Sing to God, sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. Is God in his holy dwelling God sets the lonely in families. So practical, loving care of those who are in need is what it is to live out being Christian. Well, let's dig in then to the details on this. Um, 
in verses 1 to 13, there are basically two illustrations. And uh, we'll pick up here some practical ways that this is to work itself out. So first of all, from verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. And then he illustrates, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom that he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? See, first of all, he points out that the way of the follower of Jesus is not to distinguish between people based on the world's criteria. Um, Quite simply, if somebody is wealthy and clean and high status and influential, they're not to get preferential treatment over somebody who's poor and unclean and smelly and homeless. No, we are to be people who love the way that God loves. And we'll see in what follows that God is the one who shows mercy. Now, I think we do a, a good job of making salt a place where people are welcome and when we don't expect any particular entry criteria. But maybe there are still challenges in our heart when it comes to relating to others who are different to ourselves. If somebody came along and they were well known and they were famous, if, if they were somebody who was popular and maybe had a lot of followers, would they get more attention among us than somebody who drifts in off the street? Are there things that make it easier for people to fit into salt? Is it finding people that are like us or like them that means it's easier to build relationships and connect? Or are there things amongst ourselves that make it difficult for people? See, if we're not to show favouritism, then our heart's desire is to treat all people well. It doesn't matter about their status in life. That's irrelevant to God. And it should be irrelevant to us. I think when you consider the needs of orphans and widows... They're a group that get mentioned many times throughout Scripture. Um, they get mentioned there in Psalm 68, many other parts of the Old Testament, uh, orphans and widows, other parts of the New Testament. And it's not surprising because orphans and widows were vulnerable in that society. There was no welfare net, no Centrelink, no social security, um, no bankruptcy laws. There was just people who were in need. And God's people would rise to the occasion to take care of those who are in need. And God's word calls us to be like God in showing compassion 
and concern to those who are in distress. Personally, I think orphans and widows are just the tip of the iceberg of the people that God cares for. Maybe we could add to this um, those who are single parents, those who are away from their family in another country, those who are refugees, people living on the street, those who are unemployed, or underemployed, or employed but paid subsistence wages, those who are suffering from addiction, those who are abused, those who abuse, those who have been in prison, those who are in prison, people with mental health issues, with psychotic disorders, people who struggle with social etiquette, people who are very rough around the edges, people who smell. You see, there's all kinds of challenges and there's all kinds of opportunities to show love and kindness. And God wants salt to be a church where people walk the talk. When... Nobody is made to feel uncomfortable because of who they are when they come along. And that means that you and I need to remember who we are and who, how we've been treated by God. The temptation is to think that we're more than we are and that we're entitled to what we have. But the Christian knows that he is a sinner saved by grace. That he's unclean, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. That he's without a family and without a home before he's adopted into the family of God. And we're called to be that family to one another. It's interesting in Psalm 68, I imagine that most of us know that verse 5, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. But then verse 6, God sets the lonely in families. I think his plan is that the church is to become a, a gathering of people who show family care for one another and who draw people in to that family care whether or not they're here on a Sunday, as we have extension into the community, into our streets, into the different subcultures that we mix in, into schools and, and places of employment. God's call is for us to walk the talk by showing non-discriminatory love to all people. And secondly, secondly, we need to remember that we are recipients of mercy who are called not to judge others but to allow mercy to triumph over judgment in the way we treat others. You see it there down in the last verse? Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. 
Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the way we enter into the Christian life. Because God chooses not to judge us, he judges instead Jesus so that he can show mercy to us. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are religious in the true sense of the word, you're a recipient of God's mercy. And you can never, ever appreciate how great is that mercy. I know that uh, for some people, the older they are as, as Christians, uh, the more they mature through the Christian life, the more they recognise their need for the mercy of God. And yet the danger is sometimes that we become more and more proud of the way we are and feel entitled and surely God chose me because of who I am rather than because of who Jesus is and when our thinking gets corrupted in that way it will influence how we treat others around about us we'll expect people to rise up to a standard for them to be acceptable to us but then we're slipping up because that's not the way to relate to people on the basis of the gospel look at verses 8 and following if you really keep the royal law found in scripture Love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. And I take it by implication, if you are proud of the fact that you've not committed murder and you've not committed adultery, but you still show favouritism to other people, then you are just as guilty. We are called to keep the royal law. Um, the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself. And then to speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. I think he's talking about the same thing here, but I'm not absolutely certain. But certainly in what follows, it's clear that he's got the gospel of Jesus in mind because he says that mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, we're not to show favouritism. We're not to pick and choose. We're not to be people who only migrate to those that we feel comfortable with. I think it's a great privilege we have here at SALT to have people of people who are really good at, at catching the, um, uh, the trestles over there. Thank you. But it's also really good here at Salt to have people of all ages. I was talking with some people about this the other day, that we've, we've got everything from, from, uh, from people in their first weeks of life here at Salt to, to people who are in their 80s here at life at Salt. And... Um, Every, th- every decade in between, as far as I can tell. It's a wonderful privilege to be able to mix with people who are different to you. And yet so often we just migrate to those that we feel comfortable with. Church, I take it, is to be a place that is a variety of God's people. A variety made up of people of different ages, different interests, different tribes, different vibes. 
it would be made up of people who've been around here at Salt since the beginning. It'll be comprised of people who've just turned up. And there'll be challenges to relating to each other. But we're not to show favouritism. I think it's easy sometimes to look for people who are like me and like you. And sometimes I hear that, um, well, I struggle a bit in that church because there's no one like me. But maybe we can become more like others in getting to know them. And maybe we can just delight in the fact that, that God loves complexity and, and difference and that the unity that comes in Christ is not a uniformity. It's actually a whole bunch of different people, different ages, different ethnicities, different interests, people with different gifts who are able to pull together and live that out. Salt Church is changing. It's been changing since the first week that it met. And each week, God brings different people into our midst and the vibe changes from week to week and person to person, but it, it's not culture that unites us. It's not social standing that unites us. It's not language that unites us. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And that means that we can accept people and we must accept people who are different to us different and I think we can get better at doing this here's some suggestions for ways that we might be able to walk the talk when it comes to mixing around with different people maybe there are some who struggle as young parents separated from their grandparents from their extended family well maybe there's some surrogate grandparents in our midst people who'd love to help out just by getting to know the young children, maybe helping out with families and, and sharing experiences. Maybe there are some people who struggle in life because there's so much going on and they feel ill-equipped and they just love some practical support. Perhaps a handyman or, or a gardener or a cleaner. Maybe there are some who've never really been on holidays because they've not been able to afford it. Maybe there are some who could offer a holiday free of charge. People who've perhaps never been invited over to someone else's place for dinner. I've heard and experienced a little bit that the bigger the family gets, the harder it is to invite them over. Um, it's just a little scary and it might mean things get a little bit noisy and a little bit messy. But what a great opportunity. There might be a struggle to find housing. Here's a practical thought, and I want to throw it out there as a thought bubble for you. I, I hear every week on the news that cost of housing is getting harder and harder, and there are people out there who are being forced to move and people who are couch surfing and people who are just staying uh, wherever they can because they can't find accommodation or they can't afford accommodation. Some of us own more than one property. Maybe that's an opportunity 
to provide for a family who can't afford it. Well, I'm not going to um, come up with more suggestions, but I am going to engage you in just a minute. Um, teachers say um, lots of things, but one of the things I picked up from a teacher once was uh, this little strategy of, of think, pair, share. Have I got that right? A few nods. Getting a nod from a principal and a few teachers. So think, pair, share. And, and I think the gist of that is um, to think about how you might respond to what you've learnt and then share it with somebody else and that, that, um, that you pair up with, sorry, that you pair up with somebody and you share that together and then maybe you share it more widely. Um, well, we're going to do something a little bit like that in just a second. Um, I'm going to get you just to think about this for yourselves, to maybe share together with one or two people that you're sitting with and then I'm going to invite if there are any of you who'd like to share any ideas with us all that might help us in walking the talk when it comes to living out the gospel in relationship with others. But here, I think James is on about genuine Christian faith. People who are following Jesus for real, they're not just going through the motions, it's not simply rituals. Um, it, it's not to tick off credit with God. It's because they've been shown mercy that they are called to show mercy to others. And that'll influence the way that we speak, and we'll talk more about that in weeks to come, the power of the tongue. But it must work itself out in very practical love and care for those who are in need. And we all have opportunity. So let's think about how we can put this into practice. I'm going to give you a little bit of time just to talk together. Uh, if you feel comfortable doing this, if, you, if you've never met the person that you're seated beside, um, maybe just say g'day and introduce yourself and see if you feel like talking. If you don't, that's cool. Um, and uh, if you've been married for more than 20 years, that's not cool. Um, you can talk about it together, all right? And uh, I'll invite some feedback uh, in just a minute after you've had a little bit of a chat uh, together. So think and then pair up, and then we'll get some of you to share.